Welcome to Hot Marriage, Cool Parents. Welcome, welcome. I'm your host, Jamie Otis Hainer. And I'm Doug, and I am very excited to say that we have a wonderful guest on today. Oh, Doug has been be, yeah. itching to get a guest on, and he we uh, we researched a few people, and we really love this guest that we're having on today. If you heard our episode last week, then you have a hint already, because <laughs> we talked about her. Yes, um, Maddie Jackson, who is a phenomenal person, uh, yeah. you know, turned a tragic backstory into uh, you know, uh, a life of hope and joy, but also serving others and, and inspiring others so, with her story. So inspiring, and we're so excited to introduce her later. But uh, yeah, we're here. Um, I forgot what I was going to talk about. Well, that's not good. I think <clears throat> we should do a five star shout out because that's what I wanted to get. I gotta to. tell you, I'm so thankful for those of you who have taken the time out. I mean, I know that even some of you will listen to this and then go back to your computer later and write the review, or go back to your phone later and write the review. And it genuinely means the world to us because obviously everyone's time is precious. And even the fact that you're thinking to like write the review and just like reach out to us and say hello, I mean, it means the world to us. So thank you so much. Yes. Uh, so this week, uh, we're going to give a shout out, five star shout out to H. Colm. Uh, okay, Doug. H. Colm. All right. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, H.K. says, I love you guys. Such a great podcast with real people. Great advice. And Jamie, I'm so proud of you for overcoming and handling everything with grace. My daughter's bio mom, who happens to be my sister-in-law, is addicted mm. and struggles so hard to conquer it. We took her youngest. Uh, we took her youngest at age six and adopted her, and she is now twenty-three. Uh, support us the best. Support she is the best medicine and unconditional love. I couldn't agree more. I feel like. Um, like in all ways of life, like we're all struggling with something, right? And all yeah. we should really do is try not to judge and to support and love. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I also think that it's okay if it becomes toxic and it's not healthy to kind of separate yourself too. So God bless you, H. Colin, yes. uh, for adopting your, you know, your, I guess your niece. And um, yeah. I'm sure she's so thankful that you just kind of took her away from that toxic environment. Doesn't mean she doesn't love her mom or, yeah. you know, no. but it's, I it's okay. Think, yeah, I, I do think there's, you know, when, when I, um, when I kind of announced and revealed uh, my addiction, um, there was a lot, like, the overwhelming majority of messages that I received were about family members that have someone in their family that uh, is an addict or was an addict. Um, and the theme that I always was that, that I always caught on to and a lot of the recovery stories and the, the ones that kind of had a happy ending were stories where family stuck by them. Um, you know, there was love and support, um, obviously it's a, a tricky subject because, you know, sometimes it can be unsafe. Uh, when Jamie says, you know, a toxic environment, if you have kids or, you know, you don't want to bring that into the house, but, um, for a lot of people, recovery is really dependent upon, um, the people around them and support that they have around them. And, um, I think that, you know, any way that you can help, uh, even just being there and showing some support and love. I think is, is always a, a recipe for, for a good, happy ending. Yeah, but I think it's also safe to say that even sometimes when you do show that support and the love, it may not be enough. Like, I just would hate to say that, like, over, so and true, then though. someone supported and loved someone who ends up 
overdosing or is still addicted. And it's like, it's so complicated and we can't, the one thing that we can't do in this world is control other people and their thoughts and their actions. And so the, like truly the best thing you can do is just focus on knowing that you are giving love and support, whether they're using or not, you still love them and support them, but you also have to tell them, of course, you have to have a boundary, um, if it's toxic and, um, in any case, yeah, um, it's a it's it's tough. It's a real tough topic, yeah, yeah. but um, we're all trying to do the best that we can. And I'm pumped to have our guest on today because she went through something um, excruciating. Like I can't imagine a more painful event than being, you know, in my 20s, happily married, just got married, off on vacation, and then my new husband, who I haven't been married to for a year, trips, falls, hits his head. And then lands in the hospital and is like comatose or in and out of, and then unfortunately passes. And now you are not, you're in your twenties, you're a widow. And I mean, that within the first year of being married with each other. That, and all right before the holidays, I just can't fathom all that Maddie Jackson has gone through. And what, what really is the most inspiring about it is that she writes a book about like inspiration and hope. And she has a podcast about inspiration and hope. And it's like, she is someone who has a lot of reason to just kind of be woe is me and kind of just decide that she just wants out, like she just wants to do the bare minimum in life, but instead she's taking her tragedy and turning it into messages of hope and inspiration. And I think that's my kind of people. I'm like, that's yeah. right. I mean, we, we all have something. And if we can try to help and inspire and serve others with whatever it is we're going through and however we made it through, mm-hmm. that's like the ticket to life. And so I'm pumped to have her on. I feel yeah. like she has, I'm excited. I, I feel like she's going to have such great advice for us. And just her story is really, really meaningful and heartfelt. So I'm excited for those of you listening to hear. Yeah. And uh, we are preparing to fly back up to your yes. uh, family's neck of the woods. Um, yes, and update celebrating on your grandma's life. Yeah, so update on that. My mom has honestly been like a different person since my grandma has passed, and noticeable over the phone. Yeah, um, you know me listening in. Like I haven't seen my mom, and I'm what I, I mean. I was actually thinking that today. I'm like, it's definitely been months and months and months. But I'm like, has it been two years? Like like several years. When is the last time I saw my mom? I don't even know. It could have been a year, actually. It could have been. I think it's been. No, I think it's been. I don't know. It's been months and months and months since I've seen my mother. And we're going to spend. I'm taking her out. First of all, she's home and I know where she is, which is amazing because usually I don't know where she is. And so I don't even know how to contact her. But I know where she is. She's home and she's very responsive now. Like usually I would send her a text and I wouldn't hear back. I would call her. I wouldn't hear back she's very responsive now. Like when she responds is within like two hours now. And I'm like, wow, mom, like she's just like a different person. And she said, I got matching pajamas for all of my niece, like for my nieces for, I'm thinking to myself, like my (laughs) nieces. So like for Natalie, Rylan and Henley, they're all like the same age range as far as like her grandkids. So she got them matching pajamas. She got the boys, which are Trevor, uh, Jamie and Hendrix. They're kind of the same age. She got them matching pajamas and she's so excited to have like a little movie (laughs) night at her place. And it's like, my mom is like really wanting to be part of our family now again. And it's nice. Yeah. It's really amazing. And it's just going to be interesting to go up there and see my mom at a point where she's kind of 
you know, she's just lost her mom. Her birthday was recently. My grandma's birthday is is coming up. That's when we're, that's why we're going up there right. is to celebrate her life on her birthday. And it'll just be interesting. I, I don't, I'm trying not to get my hopes up or have too high of expectations. Yeah, I was say, uh, a lot of when we first got together, it was, you know, there were times where, you know, it seemed like your mom was going to be, you know, just more present um, and responsive. And you always took the, uh, the stance of, you know, she's, you just want to, you stay guarded. Yeah. And you were extremely guarded when we first got together as far as uh, your relationship with your mom. Um, but I think after, after having kids, you know, there was a, a change and, um, you know, I, for just, me, yeah, saying, yeah, yeah, there was a, there was a change in, in how you would approach. Cause you, I mean, it was almost like you were like angry with her oh for, my gosh, for so long and anything would just set you off. And, um, it's just nice to see you at a place where, you know, you are taking baby steps and, you know, you're yeah. not as guarded, but, you know, rightfully so you should. Um, kind of protect It's almost yourself, like I've let my guard down a lot and I'm that I'm like, wait a second, Jamie, like, should you really be letting your guard down this much? Because this is, it's a cycle. Like, yeah. it, unfortunately, it is a cycle. And so then you start letting your guard down and then you get hurt again. But I'm trying to tell myself now that it's okay to let your guard down and to mm-hmm. love her, like, where she's at. And also know that it's very likely and it's okay if she disappears again. Like, let that happen if that happens and try to love her and support her exactly yeah. where she is. But also, you know, at that point, then she, unfortunately she wouldn't, I'm, I'm not, I don't want drugs around her kids. And so she wouldn't really be around our kids and yeah. that would be a shame, but that's a decision that she would make. And so that is the struggle of all of that. But anyways, right now I'm taking some advice that we learned, uh, in the podcast with Matt. we just interviewed Maddie. And one of the things she said, um, is, you know, focus on 24 hours, like just focus on 24 hours when you're starting to feel overwhelmed and you know, all the things are happening 24 hours. So I'm focusing on 24 hours, but I'm excited because we are flying up to see her and we're recording this early. So by the time you hear this, um, you'll, you'll like, we'd already have come back from, or we'll be on our way coming back really, but I'm Mm -hmm. excited to go up and see her. And of course, next week we'll follow up. And actually I asked my sister if she would want to be on the podcast. So, Next week we may have either my mom or my sister. I'm not oh, cool. I can't tell you, you know, you listening for definite. Yeah, yeah. because like I have, we're not even up there yet. But <laughs> I was thinking it would be really cool to invite them on the podcast and to just yeah. have like a, you know, a conversation with them. So we've had your sister on before, like early on. When oh we yeah, first started the podcast. Yeah, so it'd be nice to catch up. My sister yeah. Amy Lynn um, was is Jamie's mom, and we've mm-hmm. talked a lot about you know Jamie's you know, what's happened with Jamie. So for real fast, for those of you listening or not sure. So Jamie's my nephew. He was named after me and I'm so proud of that. It's such like the biggest honor I could ever think of is my sister Leah named her daughter, Rylan Nicole, my middle name's Nicole. So she named her daughter after me. And then my sister, Amy Lynn named her son after me. And it's just very, very sweet. Yeah. And I, it's such an honor, but anyways, and we named our kids after seventies rockers. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we did not. Without even realizing that's, it. Yeah, that was not on purpose. Yeah, somebody was just like, 
You mean Jimi Hendrix and Don Henley were just like, oh, yeah, no. we did not plan no. that, but uh, okay. <laughs> but are we putting something? Is God telling us that our kids are supposed to be musicians? <laughs> I mean, our, we already chose the name for our next baby, which is Janice. Um, but we did, yeah, Janice, Janice Joplin. Oh, well, yeah, that went way over your head. I think Jop- I could have picked a better name. Yeah, like Joplin, maybe like Walsh or something. But Wal- who's Walsh? Joe Walsh. Who's Eagles. that? No? Okay, never mind. <laughs> well, anyway. Uh, our guest today, uh, Maddie Jackson, her dad's Alan Jackson. So I don't mm-hmm. know, I guess, Joe Walsh, you said. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know necessarily who Joe Walsh is, but I know Alan Jackson. <laughs> and you don't know Alan Jackson. I don't. Which is wild to me. Yeah. But um, needless to say, uh, I'm excited for this week with going up to see my family and kind of hopefully getting one, either my mom or my sister on the podcast and then just kind of chatting with them and sharing that with you. And um, and I'm really excited for our guest today. She's yeah. a great one. We literally just uh, interviewed her. And so I think we might we should probably just get right to the interview. Yeah, let's bring her on. It was okay. such a good interview. So I hope you enjoy it. Yes. So. We on Hot Marriage Cool Parents are so excited, uh, not only to introduce another family-made media uh, member, but also, yes, but also, but also Maddie Jackson, um, who is an author, a speaker, certified sommelier, host of the podcast Enjoy Life with Maddie Jackson, co-founder of Nashville, a women's philanthropic organization serving orphans, widows, and... Orphans, widows, and victims of human human trafficking. Uh, obviously, brought up by my wife, daughter of country music star, singer, songwriter Alan Jackson. Um, you say brought up by wife. My, yeah. you mean like my brought up by my by, by my, my wife, wife, country music stars Alan yeah. Jackson. I'll take it. <laughs> no, but I I think Doug meant that I'm I I'm genuinely like I mean who hasn't ever heard of Alan Jackson? If like country music, he's genuinely country music's like yeah. king. It's like him, George Strait. Um, there's just, there's a few of them that have been around forever. Garth Brooks. I mean, they're like, I mean, that Garth Brooks was actually my first concert. But anyways, moving was on really? to Maddie Jackson. Yeah. It's <laughs> funny. Um, but, and, and I certainly want to get into uh, kind of where you are currently. Um, talk about your, your podcast and certainly uh, get to your, get to your book, Lemons on Friday. Um, but I also did want to kind of dig into your life before marriage um, and yeah. kind of leading up. And, and just to give a little background, um, so Maddie, you were you got married to your husband, Ben, um, at 28. And less than three weeks before your first year wedding anniversary, Ben suffered a traumatic brain injury and, and, and suddenly passed away, which can throw anybody's life upside down. I mean, when yeah. you're making plans to live the rest of your life with somebody and then life just gets turned completely around. Um, but um, yeah, I kind of want to hear it for, from you and, and your story and, and leading up to yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I did get married. Um, I was, we were both 27 and then you're correct. Right before we, our first wedding anniversary was when Ben had his accident and passed and it was just really such a freak thing and it, it really is one of those things that you know whatever your your big thing is you think like that would never happen to me because why would it I mean this was not you know car accident this was not he wasn't like an, a professional athlete like we were in Florida you know for a long weekend and 
and had been out on my dad's boat and and y'all y'all live in florida right yeah we do where were we in florida uh we were in palm beach okay um you know pop-up thunderstorms all the time so there's Mm -hmm. pop-up thunderstorm we go to get back on the boat from the marina we were at and uh ben just kind of ran over to like help some of us get up and his sandal just hit the steps getting back up on the boat they were wet and he slipped and fell back and hit his head on the dock you know which was concrete and and you know obviously we were we were alarmed we went over to make sure it was okay and he kind of he kind of did fall out you know of consciousness for a second but he came right back so even at that point you're like okay like concussion maybe we might need to stay here for a couple extra days and there were two uh off-duty emts at the same arena the little tiki bar there and uh they came over and checked him out and they were like yeah this could just be a lot more serious than it looks you need to get him to the emergency room and i mean again i don't know any of the hospitals i don't know where we are we've been on a boat for two hours like i think we were actually up in jupiter at this point um and so they helped me which was such a grace from god Mm -hmm. in that Mm -hmm. moment and they you know arranged an ambulance they said this is a hospital that has the best neuro you know surgery program like sent me there so we went and that just ensued you know a lot of swelling in his brain and and he was awake and in and out for the first 24 hours, but, you know, they put him in a medically induced coma to try to mitigate the swelling. I mean, two brain surgeries and 12 days later, his body basically just shut down. And, um, you know, it was such a shock. Obviously the whole event was a shock. And then to have been in there for, you know, almost two weeks in what truly felt like a war, like it felt like a physical and, and, spiritual and emotional war every day and really y'all like they never even talked about death being a possibility it was always all what I was worried about every day was you know they're like the parts of his brains that are that are the the part of his brain that's the most damaged is it controls like judgment and personality and reaction time like I was Mm -hmm. thinking please let this man wake up being the same man I married not ever thinking like just please let him wake up so Obviously, that is is such a surreal experience. It still feels kind of surreal, and that's a For weird sure. thing to say. Um, but it was so sudden, and and yeah, that was at this point. We just celebrated five years, actually, which feels wild. So wow. that was five years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and and you know, I I think that your your story and where you are today and how you're speaking out uh, and kind of taking that grief and that despair and really it's a truly inspiring story uh, and kind of chain of events that, that brought you here and, you know, a lifelong dream to write a book. Um, before kind of just diving back a little bit before uh, and, and being a kid in Nashville or the daughter of a country music singer was was singing songwriting was that the plan as you were growing up if we take a dive back before marriage um not songwriting necessarily i mean i love music and um you know can sing karaoke without people throwing beer bottles at me but i mean no one's gonna give me a record deal so that was never (laughs) you know really a, a thought for me um but i always loved writing um and that's a huge part of dad's career, I think, which sets him apart in some ways is that he is one of the few who really writes almost all of his music. Um, And so I felt that, I think, gifting and desire from an early age. And when I went to college, really, honestly, what happened was is very cool is he was shooting a video and 
before they do these videos that you have to write what they call a treatment, which is basically like a miniature screenplay with no dialogue. And so I was studying creative writing in college at the time. And dad was like, Hey, if you want to write a treatment, like I'll throw it in the mix. He's like, I won't tell them it's you. I'll put a different name on it. Cause I don't want them to pick it for that reason. But so I did. And they picked my treatment and I got to fly to Tampa. I think they shot it in and like, like work with the director and this whole thing. And I was like, man, like this That's is what awesome. Wait, That's so what wild. song was it? I'm sure I probably know it. It wasn't a big hit. It was called It's Just That Way. Um, I want to say it was, pro- it was probably 2009-ish, 9 or 10 when that okay. happened. Um, okay. But it was such an incredible experience. And I was like, this is for sure what I want to do with my life. And and just love people and stories. Like, that's why y'all do what you do. You get that. And and so anyway, I studied it in college. And that really was always my dream was to write books and and to write really nonfiction because... I feel like there are so many people who have such powerful stories and either don't have the tools or platform or desire to share it. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. why would I make up a fictional story? Like my mom wanted me to be like female Nicholas Sparks. And I was like, I mean, great. That would, that would make us some good money, but like people have real stories that matter and I want to tell them. And so part of what's in the intro to my book, which is so crazy is I remember like when I graduated, telling them that and dad being like, you have a gift, but you just need to live your life. Like your life is what you're going to end up writing about. And so obviously, you know, at 22, if I'd been told this was my first story, I think I would have probably picked something else, but, um, but yeah, the fact that even through like the worst nightmare coming true, you can imagine that not only has God restored me as an individual, but like he used that nightmare to make my dream come true. Like that's wild. Mm -hmm. But I feel like God works in mysterious ways in the sense that you went through all that you went through and you had the ability to be able to share that with your talent of writing and, you know, having, you know, just your, uh, your, you having the background with school and whatnot and whatnot like that. because I feel like some people may have gone through something like that and they wouldn't be able to share it and kind of share just hope and inspiration and just like, you know, I, so I feel like it's always so odd, you know, when something so hard like that happens and you're trying to figure out why me, God, you know, like why yeah. didn't, you know, and also why him, like your husband, like why him, like he didn't deserve yeah. to go so early and, you know, now I'm widowed at less than 30, younger than 30. I mean, this isn't how anybody envisions their life, but, and it's hard to see the, like, like some sort of a silver lining or the blessing within that, especially during the time, like, I'm sure you weren't like thinking there could ever be any, but you know, certainly God had a reason and, you know, and maybe this happened to you. It's it's so kind of even hard to say because it doesn't, um, and that, that nothing makes it, nothing makes the pain go away, you know, from nothing brings him back. But it, yeah. I guess like the, what I'm trying to say is a sliver lining is that you are someone who's able to share your story and hopefully inspire others. Yeah. And, and even, even though I, I wrote down that quote too, because as, as a father, um, you know, I, I always wonder what my daughter's going to grow up to be and, and my son. Um, and, I just think something, you know, coming right out of college, just saying you go live your life, you find something to write about. It's just so incredibly encouraging. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and from, from there, was it, was it from there, from there you, then you then opened up a wine bar? Wine bar? Was, that, was that sort yeah, of the yeah, process so there? I, 
Um, yeah, I moved to Austin, Texas right after college for literally no reason, except that I was 22 and single and had an English degree, so no one was offering why not? <laughs> um, yeah, it was really fun. So I got a job in a steakhouse um, for cash. And because it's a steakhouse, there's a big wine presence and a lot of wine training and stuff. And I had been to Italy once um, and really loved it. And we did do some stuff in Tuscany and was really enthralled by the whole process and the tasting. And I've always been into food and cooking. So it's obviously that's a natural sort of addition and uh, but didn't know anything about it. So when we started doing that, I think the seed had sort of been planted in that way. And I just like loved it. I mean, I, it's so academic. Like people are like, oh, of course you love it. You get to drink for your job. It's like, no. I mean, yes, but no. Yes it's and no. Yeah. Yes and no. Um, it's like historical and scientific and artistic and like mm-hmm. relational, you know, and, and and everything about it. I just loved learning. I've always been a nerd. I love to learn. And and so I kind of fell in love with it and ended up um, pursuing my sommelier certification there in Texas. And, uh, and just, you know, Nashville was always going to be home to me. And so I did that there. And then I interned for a winery in Napa for six months, like worked in the cellar, like cleaning tanks, like pouring sulfur, shoveling grape junk with a bunch of old men and me. And it was nasty and amazing. And I loved it. (laughs) And, um, and then I I was like, I want to come home. And at that point, Nashville had it, it was like on the front end of its big boom. It wasn't quite like it is now. That was nine years ago. Um, and I was like, man, we need something that offers a unique spin on a wine experience here that's still in line with how like casual, you know, Nashville is. And so that's what I did. And I opened it in 2016 and ran it for two years. And it was, again, a, a really fun, crazy, really incredibly taxing, challenging experience. And God bless anyone who does their whole life in hospitality. It'll wear you out. And so in the midst of that time is when Ben and I met and got married. And so that was fun because he was a big part of helping build it and support it. God, he had to come in and bartend some nights when people called out. He had no idea. I think he gave away probably a thousand dollars worth of stuff. Like, but, of uh, <laughs> but he had the personality for it. But, um, but yeah, so I did that for two years. And then honestly, it was a bit of a financial decision to close. Um, it was kind of struggling. The, the place in town it was, the neighborhood it was. And then, you know, honestly, we just got married and I was like, man, this is not, I don't want to work 15 hour days, you know? Yeah. And, and then, so I decided, you know, I felt very at peace about ending that. And I did kind of feel that call bubbling back up again. Like there had been so many young women who worked for me, like college age that would end up in my office talking and, and crying and praying together and just being able to speak into them. I think kind of planted a seed of like, okay, you can really do this. Like you can really help, especially women. And I had no idea what it was going to look like. And then he passed away two months later. So it's just, the timing is so crazy. Um, But that really was the transition from all the wine and food to being, to starting Nashville. And then obviously to, to writing and speaking and all of that. So it's, it's wild. Cause I just would, couldn't have ever like engineered it. You know, mm-hmm. you live your life and it's- mm-hmm. I mean, bar owners, yeah. Bar owners and, and bartenders have the greatest stories. <laughs> if it's not from never, their own, it's from their, stories. their customers. Um, yeah. Something I always like to ask, um, is where was your first date with Ben? Um, that was a fun story. So he, we actually met at a mutual friend's wedding, like several years prior. Apparently we danced. Apparently he was into me. I don't remember seeing him. Um, 
And then let's see, we reconnected one summer here at that same friend was having like a cookout. And um, he asked like really, I was like grilling for everybody. And I was just like going inside to go to the restroom or something. And he sort of just like cornered me and was like, hey, I'd really like to take you on a date. And I was like, I don't know you like. I'm also kind of seeing somebody, which was kind of true. It like wasn't going to be anything, but I was just sort of caught off guard. And he was like, I said, well, we're kind of seeing somebody. And he was like, okay, well, when can I ask you out again? And I was like, okay, well, number one, that's entitled. Like you just think this, this thing is going to end. You just think and, it's like, going to happen. Huh? Yeah. He was calling your bluff. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, um, I don't know, like a month. Like, what do you, how do you answer that question? So he was like, okay. And I was like, okay. Um, and then I think three months later, I got a text um, and it said, hey, Maddie, this has been, you told me to wait a month. So I gave it three for good measure. Can I take you on a date? And um, and we went to one of my favorite restaurants here in Nashville. And it was just pretty instantaneous, honestly. <laughs> Aww. That's really amazing. That's really so sweet. <laughs> and I, I see you're married now. So um what what is that like if you don't mind me asking you know being a such a young widow and navigating all of that and then you know going into like because I mean you had in-laws and you know I'm sure you're part of his family and they were part of yours and then now he's no longer here and you're trying to date and so how how do you navigate that if god forbid anyone else is going through that like what does that even look like yeah uh clumsily would be my first answer yeah um it, you know, that was obviously my biggest fear for for a long time, for the first several years, like, and honestly, not even a consideration for several years. It was always like, I knew, I've always known I want to be a wife, I want to be a mom. And, and so that prayer was always there, but it was very abstract, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It was just like, God, please let this happen eventually, but you got to put me back together. And so the point at which I felt more stable um, and more together and a little more like, you know, this new self, everybody calls it new normal, which is a really annoying term, but it is accurate. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to this place, I think probably about two or two and a half years after he passed where I really felt secure in my work and what I was doing. And, and I felt like I've heard somebody say, just wait for this scab to become a scar because then you it's not as debilitating you you've kind of processed some of the hardest parts so when that happened for me it was right basically the summer I turned 30 which was also the summer of 2020 so like not an ideal dating yeah. um scenario yeah but, that's unfortunate <laughs> yeah I think I just I I was nervous and and it's weird to go you know I had a dated in seven years or so probably at that point I guess maybe more like five anyway it's very different at 30 than it is 25 and mm -hmm. I think the scariest part was like you just alluded to Jamie is like how do I bring that I don't mean baggage in a negative way I'm just saying like how do I bring that heaviness of this story mm -hmm in the dating environment like mm -hmm. number one I don't want to be dating at 30 number two the pool is so much smaller number mm -hmm. three it's a pandemic number four I don't want to be on dating apps but you have to so it's like all of these things that weren't true you know five to seven years prior and also like when do you drop this widow bomb like when do you do that I was so scared about it and and honest honestly to to the men's credit that I did go on dates with even though a lot of them were not great successful dates for many months I think 
I think what I would hope is that most people are really generous. Like they give you the most grace they can. Like Mm -hmm. they give you, try to be the least awkward that they can. And, and I would just hope that anybody going through that would at least be with someone who's willing to be generous. It's just, it's really scary to bring that stuff into a conversation. And I think I tried to hold off on it a really long time. But then also I felt like I'm not being true to who I am. And so it was really difficult. It was really difficult and ended up actually exactly. And that's what honestly my, my prayer kind of started to be at that point, like, let this be someone that already knows my story. Because I was like, if I don't have to explain it, like if they just have the cliff notes, then like, we'll get to it when we're at an emotionally appropriate place to be Mm -hmm. vulnerable. And my husband now Connor ended up like I already knew him and honestly this is so crazy. I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna go down like a preacher rabbit hole but I had a dream eventually at some point like very early on in my grief and I, I dreamed about Ben a lot but I had a couple that felt so like just supernatural profound and there was one where I remember being at the lake because we, we grew up at the lake and like been being there but me like not really being able to get his attention and like me trying to run to him and be like come back come back come back and I'm like crying and distraught in the dream and the only thing time he like acknowledged me or turned to me was he turned and said it's okay I already know him like he's gonna love you and like that and I didn't even right and let me tell you something I didn't even remember that happening I have goosebumps all over my body I think it was like, it was within two months of his passing. Like it was definitely in the like adrenaline grief cloud. Like I don't remember anything phase. And the only reason I remember that is because right after Connor and I started dating, I ran into one of my friend's moms at Target. Like, and she was like, I saw, I heard that you've been seeing Connor Smith and da, da, da. And I'm so glad for you. She goes, I don't know if you remember this, but the day that I came to bring you food, like however many weeks after you told me you had this dream and she's the one that reminded me of it in the target parking lot. And I'm like, Oh my God. Anyway, wild. Wild. I'm sorry. I don't know what sent me on that tangent, but it is the coolest thing. That is such a story worth sharing. I see why you went on that tangent. I mean, that is amazing. It's like your husband, your late husband, Mm -hmm. not only told you, you know, like it's going to be okay. Oh my gosh. It's like, he really did come to you in a dream. I'm literally getting goosebumps talking about it again, because that's, that is very supernatural. And that was something that I was going to ask too, because for, for anybody that has suffered a loss, um, you know, and is trying to get back into the dating scene. Um, you know, I know it's going to be different for everybody, but was, you know, was there a point to where, Either you got a sign, and I, I mean, I'm assuming this might have been a sign, yeah, this but maybe is a you sign. weren't ready. But you weren't even aware yeah. that it was a sign, and God was like, well, let me tell you, yeah. I gave you this sign, and so did Ben, and um, let me have your friend come and see you in the target parking lot and let you know. Yeah. But was was there anything sort of tangible that, that kind of gave you the courage to get back into the dating scene or kind of made it okay for you and, and to get back out? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for whatever reason my kind of ambiguous like line that I was waiting for was turning 30. Cause that was about two and a half years after he passed. And it wasn't like I'm on June 19th, 2020, this is my, you know, I was definitely going to be dependent on how I was feeling and what I had going on, but it was sort of like, okay, I've survived. This is a new decade. Like I need to start taking these steps. And 
Um, so that was just sort of something, whatever anyone, if you have like sort of a tangible goal, that's like, okay, even if I'm a little scared, this was sort of, I'm going to put my foot back in the water or whatever. But other than that, what I, my, my, what I was going to say is I don't know how to explain it. And I don't know that this would be the same if it wasn't a, a death. Like I had, and this was helpful. I had actually had several friends going through divorces at the same time. So we sort of were navigating that like re-entry, like loss of a marriage re-entry. But for me, it was different because they had to heal the specific friends. I'm thinking about like heal from the betrayal that they're feeling and that fear mm -hmm. of re-entering where that's not what I experienced. So it wasn't necessarily distrust or fear it was, I had to get to a place and I remember very specifically when this shift happened because there was some anniversary or, or date or something that, you know, those are so heavy and it's like the anxiety building up to them is often even worse than the day of, but there was some occasion like that, that spring. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember the feeling so well because people were of course checking in on my, how are you today? Like, how are you feeling? And, and there was this shift from, on those days, on the anniversary days or the special days, or even days when I was just thinking about it and we're looking at pictures where the sadness became a slightly secondary emotion to the like thankfulness that I felt. And that was the emotional shift that I remember really palpably feeling like, obviously I'm still sad. I'm always sad. Like it's been five mm -hmm. years this month and I sit and I, I mourn that this person who's amazing can't be here with me in my life, like, and can't meet Connor. Like, but it wasn't like a romantic sorrow feeling as much. It still was, but it was like that shifted from being the dominant feeling to being the secondary feeling. And the dominant feeling was, man, that was so awesome. Like we were so awesome. And so when it felt a little more like thankfulness and a little less like sadness, I was like, I think this is where I start to try. And I feel like that's probably when that open wound became a scar. I mean, it's not gone yeah. forever, of course. It's, And I'm sure those anniversaries are still so incredibly hard. But, yeah. you know, it's the scar rather than the open wound that's like bleeding still. And so that, that really does all make perfect sense. Yeah. It really does. And it's kind of, there's no time frame on it. You can't be like, oh, yep, in two years. But I do see how you kind of said a goal for yourself maybe uh yeah. like subconsciously like 30 years old I'm gonna try to like you know get myself together and you know kind of just move on a little bit if I can and if I can't that's okay too but let's try to do this at 30 years and then and then you did and so and yeah. and also your husband your late husband really like in the sweetest thing and literally chills with that story because he gave yeah. you permission he told you who it was or like in a sense, you Alluded know what I mean? Because sure. he said, yeah. you already know crazy. him. And then you started dating this Connor guy. And then that person in the parking lot. <laughs> I mean, these, that is honestly like the most amazing thing about having a relationship, I feel like with God yeah. and like, and knowing that, you know, death is, is just something, right? Like it's just something hard to wrap your brain around because it's like they're here and then they're not. And where do they go? And like also us, we are here right now, but yeah. one day we will not be. And where do we go and how do we carry on and do, is there, I mean, you know, 
everyone wants to believe, of course, that there's an afterlife, but I'm sure everyone also is kind of like, is there really? Mm -hmm. But then when you have a dream like that, and when someone else hears of this, you know, it's, it's like, remind you like, yes, this is, this is real. And you know, there really is like, you will, there is a heaven and you will meet with your loved ones who you've lost. And yeah. So I'm so happy you went down that quote unquote tangent because (laughs) that was like, I mean, chills, that's amazing. Let's just pause right there because I want to talk about a brand new take on toothpaste called no BS toothpaste. What do you mean a new take on toothpaste? So no BS toothpaste is a fluoride free dehydrated tablet that you put in your mouth, you chew a couple times and then you brush normally. So this was formulated by a dentist to provide a minimalist toothpaste without sacrificing on efficacy. Only 13 super clean ingredients in no BS. Get it? See what I did there? Good for you. (laughs) But no sulfates, no parabens, no microplastics. And because it's made without water, it eliminates the need for a lot of the preservatives found in traditional toothpaste. And unlike most fluoride-free brands, No BS is made with the safest remineralizing agent, nanohydroxyapatite, which is a lot to say, but it's not only proven to be as effective as fluoride, but it makes it the safest choice for mothers and mothers-to-be and breastfeeding mothers and kids. So plus... Plus, the tablets are pre-dosed, so there's no worrying about using too much or too little. It comes in a glass jar, so there's no mess, no crinkly tube, and no getting your toothpaste confiscated at the airport or having it explode all over your clothes and your luggage. Definitely happened. So for <laughs> to enjoy 15% off your first month's supply of No BS Toothpaste, go to betterbiome.com. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-B-I-O-M dot com and use the code HMCP at checkout for 15% off. Biome.com and use the code HMCP at checkout for 15% off a one month supply. Let's get back to it. Yeah. And um, kind of leading up to your book, Lemons on Fridays, um, I, I think I saw that journaling, your your outlet was was journaling uh, that kind of helped you get through some of that grief. Um were there any other uh, were there any other things that you did daily things that you did to help you get through the pain um, and the grief and uh, of the loss for anybody that may have just gone through something like that? Yeah, well, first thing I try to tell people is if you're in the midst of that, like if you're in the hell of it, it's very easy to spiral one way or the other either spiral back to the past and like get try to get stuck in there which does feel good and you should reminisce and be thankful but you can't stay there because you can't Mm -hmm. heal or a lot of people and i i was sort of victim to this spiral into the future of you said this at the beginning doug it's like you of course mourn the person who has passed but you mourn everything else that was in the future in your mind together And so it would be very easy to spiral into that. Like, you know, how do I let go of these things that we did? How do I, like, we had kids names picked out, like, you know, Mm -hmm. and and you have to let that go. And, and also what is my future going to look like? That was the big spiral. So any way that you can keep yourself present to the, this 24 hour block, you will, Mm -hmm. you will survive 24 hours. You will survive 24 hours. And what can you do? tiny or, or, or large to bring a little bit of energy, bring a little bit of hope into this 24 hours, like whatever that is for me, it started really, really small. Like I've exercised, you know, four days a week for 15 years. And when that happened, when grief happens, I couldn't do anything. 
And eventually I was like, I don't need to do a 45 minute boot camp. I need to go walk with my dog for 10 minutes and feel the sun on my face and feel that comfort of, of creation, you know, and that's enough. And like, I love to cook and I couldn't cook. And it was like, once I started to occasionally do it one time a week, I'm like, you know what, this really is bringing some vitality. This is bringing a little, a little bit of joy. And, and I think like you just start with those tiny things and then the darkest moments, those tiny things are, are bright, like they're bright lights. Mm -hmm. And then obviously don't do it on your own. Like, I think a lot of us are so hesitant to ask for help. And, and honestly, I felt like a burden on everybody or like the Eeyore with the dark cloud, whatever that Snoopy character is on everybody. And Mm -hmm. one of my friends at one point looked at me and she was like, you have to stop. Like, if this was me, would you not give a limb to try to help in some way? And I was like, shoot, like, of course I would. So definitely don't do it alone. And, and, you know, this is going to sound crazy, but what I tell people is if you can be brave enough to celebrate, you have no idea like how that contributes to your healing and, and just your overall mindset of like willing yourself to hope again. So like his first birthday, so his birthday is in August, he passed in September and then like the onslaught of all the holidays. So like the first year after was five months of the hell of these things back to back. So his birthday was the first big anniversary I had and was just dreading it and so anxious and so anxious. And it was kind of one of those things where I was like, what would he want me to do? Like, I'm not going to not grieve. I'm not going to not weep. I'm not going to not do what I need to do to feel my feelings, but he would want me to freaking celebrate. So Mm. we went to my parents' pool and I invited all these people and we got a food truck and we all drank too much Coors Light because God bless him. That's what he loved. And we put our favorite movie on a projector and and we all cried and we all laughed and like I was like I'll I'll be damned if I'm only going to be sad that was honestly my approach I was like I'm going to be sad but I'm going to do something to celebrate who he was and what he loved and and we're gonna have a moment of enjoyment and and I I would stake everything on if you have the courage and you have the people that can support it doesn't have to be a huge party but it's like you know every year on his on his birthday I'll probably drink the Coors Light like eat some wings you know and it's like that's a that's a sweet memory and it's just a way to I think proactively combat feeling so engulfed by the pain it's like a momentary just glimpse of of joy of light of hope it's like when people say you act to make your feelings change if you act in celebration you will feel a little bit of joy and it may be momentary but dude i think if you can celebrate that person it it will change the way that you grieve and the way that you heal i think that is such a powerful thought in so many aspects of life you know um just like kind of switching that mindset because i could see how you could go down a I mean, you would have the right to still be in your bed in like, you know, sweatpants with greasy hair right now. Like you're allowed, like, because what an awful situation that you've been through, but a, would he want that for you? And B, what kind of quality of life is that for you at this point, you know? And so of course, you know, you like, no one would fault you if you want, if that was kind of like what, where you were going with it, but it's, it's really shows your resilience and your strength to be able to to celebrate him and that, you know, and you know, all of us, like if we had left our loved ones, we wouldn't want them to be in bed, you know, mourning forever because you want them to live their lives. And, and so, yeah, I think that that is such a powerful way. And and I love how you say, like to focus on just the 24 hours, like you can handle 24 hours, 
what, what little tiny thing, it doesn't yep. have to be all or nothing. Like you're not going to be back at the gym every single day and you're not going to be, yeah. you know, but just like you said, like just a little walk, like some sort of something to make you smile, you know, and lots of cores, light and wings. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Light and wings, God. I think we kept them in business for a year. Like <laughs> our whole friends and family. Was, uh, what advice do you have for someone who is witness to somebody going through a traumatic loss like that? Um, and just in terms of if, if Jamie had, uh, and we suffered a few losses, um, what was the best way for someone outside to help comfort that person? Yeah, it's so hard. I'll just validate that even after everything I've gone through, you know, I've had close people have some really hard losses and I feel weird. And I'm like, I of all people should know how to handle this. And you just, everyone hurts differently. So you sort of have to like gauge from them what they're wanting. And, um, but obviously I think just presence, like, and maybe that was just part of losing a spouse was that I was so, I didn't want to be alone for so long. Like God bless my girlfriends. They're also type A. They made an Excel spreadsheet of who was like on call for me every night. If I wanted someone to sleep with me every, which I did for like six weeks. And then I was like, okay, I am a grown woman. I think I need to, we need to pump the brakes. But um, just that presence um, and checking in. And I think something really tangible that I realized um, that I like to tell people is if you are trying to help, like open-ended questions are hard for people when they're grieving because their mind is, mush so if you can in instead of like what do you need today if you can ask like hey do you have anything for dinner would you like me to drop something off or would you want to take a walk tomorrow like I could do an a or b question but an open-ended question felt very overwhelming um like what do you need you're like well I need a lot of things actually like where do I even begin (laughs) yeah Jamie still has trouble with that (laughs) <laughs> what do you want for dinner? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, that doesn't yeah, help. You want, why don't you give me some options? <laughs> the other thing I would say, this was a really incredible moment. One of my best friends is a counselor, and I think she was well-equipped to ask this question. But, you know, the question always was, like, she started asking when we'd be together because you get to a point where you want to ask how people are doing, but you don't want it to be the only thing you talk to them about. Cause yes, I but, know that's what it yes. feels like. Like I have a close person who's been in a real hard depression recently. And it's like, every time I talk to her, I want to ask how she is, but then I'm like, I don't want to harp on this all the time. Like this isn't yeah. helpful. So mm-hmm. I had her say to me one time, Hey, like, do you want to talk about Ben right now? Or do you want to hear about everything that's going on with my husband and my kids and like check out of your life and check into mine for a second. Mm-hmm. And it was different every day. And I think that's a really powerful question. Like, do you want to talk about what's going on or do you want a distraction? Like, I think that is monumental advice because recently I had a friend who had um, ovarian cancer and we're not like, we're not even like neighbors. So I couldn't just, it's different when you're in, in person and you can kind of like feel the vibe. But if you're just like shooting out a text or something, cause you're trying to connect, but you don't want to bombard them with phone calls. I, I, I found myself constantly and like, and she's in the hospital. I'm like, I know you're not doing well. Like, so I, but like, I don't know. What so then I started saying, so I said to her, let's binge a show together. If you're stuck in the hospital, like let's binge what show. And I don't even like love watching TV per se, but <laughs> I was like, I just wanted to find something to do to connect with her where I'm not just constantly asking her, how are you doing? Because clearly the answer, I mean, she was so positive, but it's like that, that 
that question. Indian matchmaking on Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was good. That's what it was. We got hooked on it. But um, yeah, that was her that was her recommendation. But I <laughs> I love that about your friend. What she said was, "Do you want like?" And I like that also. It's not open ended. It's do you want yeah. to talk about you know your loss or whatever it is you're struggling with. Or do you want to talk about, I, you know, I have X, Y, and Z going on. And then that person gets to choose. Like maybe you need to talk yeah. about Ben at that moment, or maybe you're like, I just need a second to breathe and like distract my brain. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That is really great yeah. advice yeah. and a yeah, great I thought. Agree. And I think the shows and like, you know, that's a great idea too. just find something neutral and, and, you know, benign or silly or something right. to, to talk mm-hmm. over. Cause it just, it is all consuming and, sometimes you need that safe person to really process and, and remember the person and like cherish them. But sometimes you just want to think about anything else. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about Nashville because, um, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to hear more about like, when did you start it and what's it about? And yeah, I just, I'm just so curious about it. Yeah. So that's kind of a crazy story too. So literally in that kind of like two, two and a half months, I guess it was three months between when I closed my restaurant um and Ben's accident uh I got approached by my co-founder Brooke who I knew it was a mutual acquaintance we weren't super close friends but I knew her and and she said hey like Courtney our mutual friend she said Courtney said you close the restaurant and you're thinking like you might want to work with women in some way and I have this idea that I've really been thinking about a lot and I'd love to share it with you and we went to coffee and she's an adoptive mom so the the sort of adoption foster care birth mom was really what was on her heart about it and uh she was like I just want to find some way to serve them and serve women and children in Nashville and she was like I was thinking about just doing merchandise to raise merchandise and events to raise the funds and I was like I mean I don't know anything about that but I just felt very compelled to to move forward in this in some way with her and so we just started building and brainstorming and and designing and we were thinking that would just be the clothing would be a way to generate you know, revenue to, to give to these nonprofits we were going to try to work with. And so we started doing that and, and we wanted to branch the mission out beyond just adoption. And so I don't know if you know these verses, Jamie, but it's like, you know, in scripture over and over, it's like, take care of orphans and widows, take care of orphans and widows. Mm -hmm. And it's like verbatim many Mm -hmm. times. And I mean, like we were 20, I was 28, she was 30. We were like, I don't know why we really feel compelled to to add widows as a mission. Like we have no idea, like what's that going to be like visiting old ladies in the nursing home? Like that was literally our perspective. Mm-hmm. And we were like, I don't know what to do with that, but we'll come back to it. And then we added uh, trafficking because my husband Ben was, he worked with a lot of the trafficking um, survivors in downtown Nashville. He was an attorney and worked with them. And um, so he helped us kind of set up that part, which is really special. And Your husband and, Ben. Yeah. So prior to his death, he knew about Nashville and he even helped. Yeah, we were were building it in that summer when I, after I closed the restaurant and wasn't working and then she approached me. And so, yeah, he was all in on it. And he was the one like, you need to meet with the women who run the trafficking or like rehabilitation center in Nashville. And like, you should think about this as your third mission. So it's, it's so crazy. It's such a like honor and legacy, honestly, at this point. But so that was sort of in place. And then when I was in the hospital with him, we hadn't yet found a nonprofit for what eject. So it's so, there are so very few and we were getting ready to launch. And then when all that happened, I called Brooke and I was like, you have to find something like, I don't know what. And she found that we work with two widow organizations that are amazing. And, 
And so it was literally set up, you know, before I became the living, walking, breathing, you know, and I walked it in real time. And, and so for me, that was so crucial and so powerful to my healing because the thing that I couldn't think about living with is if I felt like my pain and his death didn't have purpose. And that was like my prayer all the time. Like, okay, if I have to do this, it better be for something good. It better be for something big. It better be for purpose. And so to have that sort of teed up to walk into was really hard. I mean, I grieved in real time publicly because of our organization, because of who my family is, but it made me feel like my loss mattered immediately. And I think that's what gave me enough resilience to keep doing it. And, and also there were women immediately who run these widow organizations who became mentors to me, you know, and walked with me through all of this. So, I mean, that was such an incredible blessing to me personally. And then since then, obviously we, we work with lots of groups and we've done big fundraisers for, for nonprofits in all three of those spheres. And, and it's just, it's really, it's a joy. The people you meet, it's, it's amazing. So Nashville it's just wild to hear your story and then to know that that was created in infancy, basically, while you were still married to your husband. And, wid- wid- you know, just the fact that, like, your heart was being spoken about widows and you didn't really understand that. And then, oh, my goodness, nope. this is wild. Like, this is, I feel like, <laughs> I really do feel like you have such a purpose in your life because the fact that that happened. And then not only that, but then your 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 late husband, Ben, the fact that he was really adamant about trafficking and he really wanted you. I mean, he has a legacy, like you said, like, I mean, this is his legacy now. And it's just, it's a really remarkable that all of these, all of these kind of pegs lined up the way they did. And of course yeah. you had no idea at the time, of course. And, but here you are now. And in a, in a, in an odd way, it's like God gave you different um, avenues of, of help and understanding, like the whole fact that you had access to these mentors when you were a widow grieving, I can't imagine, like, where do you even turn to look? And also when you're in the midst of that, you don't even want to like, look, you don't have the energy to look. And so the fact that you had those, like probably in your phone, you know, those contacts, or at least you had, you knew someone who did have access to them. It's really remarkable. Um, and it's, it's really incredibly selfless and inspiring. And because something that really stuck out. And, you know, I was never really a, a church goer. Um, we, my family and I, we would go on uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, that was when we would go to church as a Presbyterian. And church was a big part of, of Jamie, and more or less uh, her escape, uh, what brought But some of the most recent services that we went to at our church here was about serving others mm. and how incredibly, it's it just just the, the energy and what you put into the, the world and serving others, the impact that it'll have on you. Um, and, you know, just the fact that you are utilizing your platform and your voice and your experience to, to serve share others that and serve others is just absolutely incredible. Yeah, it really is. So thank you because I can't, I mean, I'm sure I'm, I don't know anyone, but as actually I, I do, I know someone here um, who there's many widowers that are unfortunately a little younger and some with children. And so I can imagine, I mean, there's such a need for it. And the fact that you're not, you know, you, and you'd have every right and that would be fine if you did kind of just not want to share your story and not really want to talk about it because it was painful or whatever. But the fact that you're willing to kind of 
talk about this very hurtful and, you know, difficult time in order to try to help to serve others and give them any sort of hope or inspiration or any tips. Yeah. So thank you for that. Cause that's, that's really awesome of you. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a lot. And who ever, it's always like, you know, that saying, like, if you try to plan your life, well, God will have other plans. And so like, don't why bother? Because, and it's like, you tried, you know, coming back to the top of our, of our interview with you, just as a child of the country King, Alan Jackson, and just, you know, you're graduating and you're like, I don't, you know, I don't even know what I want to do. I guess maybe I'll go into writing. And then and it was amazing for your dad to say, you know, what, what did he say, Doug? <laughs> Sugar, uh, you got a gift, I think is what he said. Yeah, see if you can get that Jordan accent on it, though. Sugar, you got a gift. You got a gift, Sugar. Yeah, interesting you don't really have an accent. Man, Nashville, like, phases it out of you now, you know? Yeah, a little bit. You don't have an accent, and your dad does. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you not have an accent? Let's get cocktails sometime. It comes out eventually. I was going to say, you don't sound like you have an accent and you're, you are it's a country only, girl. It's only when she cusses and drinks wine. That's, when it comes <laughs> that's out exactly, it. that's true, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, yeah. about your book, because I imagine that there are many people who are going to be very interested in reading it. Is it already out now or, yes. yeah? <clears throat> so where are people able to find this book? Oh, anywhere. I mean, Amazon, obviously number one, um, but anywhere online and yeah, it's it's really it's a lot of what we've talked about. It it started as you said, Doug, just journaling to process those sort of traumatic emotions, and it really is a kind of an ongoing look at the first couple years, really the first two to two and a half years um, of struggling, of never knowing how to feel like sorrow and like depression and all those things that I just had never had any interaction with and how to do that. Honestly, like my, my bend is to push forward, to stay busy, to like, just don't just keep going, just like outrun mm-hmm. the worst of it. And with something that huge, you can't do that. And so I had to literally learn how to like grieve and cry, like to get the emotion out so that it wouldn't haunt me so that it wouldn't, you know, keep me in bed for five years so that it wouldn't come out sideways, which it did sometimes. Um, and so for me, I had to learn that. And so if, if that's someone's been, you walk with me through like, how do we grieve honestly, but also like make the recurring choice to hope, make the recurring choice to celebrate because that's, what's going to sustain you and keep you from spiraling into, you know, too dark of a mindset. And really that's what the book is, is like, how do we hold the hurt honestly and, and have the courage to keep hoping And also if you are a person of faith or if you aren't like, how do you get honest with a God that you trust who didn't do what you asked him to do and let your life fall apart? Like that was what was hard for me is I never walked away from believing in God, but I, I had to really be like, you could, like, I know you could have stopped this. And how do I keep moving forward in life with you and praying to you and trusting you, not knowing what the outcome is going to be, you know? And so, and it, it all enriched everything about you know, my faith in my life. It's like, and it, y'all have been married 10 years. Like when you come through a conflict, man, that trust and that connection is so much deeper. And like, that's what it is with God too. It's a relationship and you can fight with him on the stuff that hurts you. And like, he's never going to walk away. Like, and it will, it, that's the subtitle, trusting God through my greatest heartbreak. And it was a battle for sure. Yeah. And we'll, we'll also leave a link to that. Uh, Lemons on Friday, trusting God through my greatest heartbreak. 
Um, also, what is the best dating app for somebody over 30? Yeah, how did, well, you already knew Connor, so we know that you didn't have to use that dating app. But what one did you like most when you were uh, scrolling? Which one did, did you swipe a lot? I, I, will, I will admit I only went on one date from an app. And it actually, to an encouragement to anyone, it was, it, he was the best guy that I dated besides Connor. Like, he was so much more normal. Like, I was expecting not that. Um, what app was, was it? It was Bumble. I think it just made me feel like, I think that's why they made it. Obviously it makes me feel safer. The woman has to initiate and, but you know, my friends that are, that are single use it. They use, um, hinge too. I think those are probably the main, there's ones that people pay for that are very, and I'm just like, not, it's not yeah. my vibe. Yeah. And then, um, so your podcast, enjoy life with Maddie Jackson, um, well, one thing that I that I wanted to mention too, because uh, a lot of it is joy and and finding the joy in life. Do you feel like going through everything? Do you feel like joy and positivity is a choice? Yeah, I do. That's really that's a lot of why I have this show. Um, like I said, I love stories. And I love people, so it's just fun. Y'all know that. Um, but I think once I got done promoting the book, you know, I was talking to to my family and friends and just saying like, I know there's more for me. Um, I've seen the power of being able to, to share experiences and speak hope into people and break isolation. And I'm like, but I don't want my story to be all about the grief. Like that's not where my life's going to end. That's not where I want the story to end. And, and I was kind of like, if I like, what would be my goal if people sat with me for an hour or went on a trip with me for a week or had coffee for 30 minutes, like, I want them to feel joy. Like I want them to know that joy is a choice. And I realized that some, one of the refrains in the book ended up being that joy and pain can coexist. Cause I felt that and discovered mm -hmm. it over the course of like fighting for it. And that in spite of the fact that we have so much less control than we wish we had over most things, right. What happens to us and around us that we can control our own agency to choose things that will bring joy. And so that's, that's what I want people to hear from me. That's what I hope they see in the book. And, and that's, those are the stories I want to tell because, and it doesn't even have to be some tragedy. It's like, y'all have two small kids. Like that is a joyful thing, but I'd be willing to bet that's not your primary emotion all the time. Right. Like depends on what time of day when they're sleeping, I'll tell you, like, I'm like, Oh, I love that. This is yeah. blissful. <laughs> mornings for getting ready for school maybe not so much yeah. joy doing, is probably not the right word with a toddler there's no joy in it. Yeah, joy is not the first word that comes to my mind uh, but <laughs> and this may be extremely cheesy um but i do like dad jokes um if you do another book will it be called lemonade on <laughs> it maybe. should I think that's a good pitch for the publisher, for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah, well, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I think we've kept you for close to an hour now. I know. So. Thank you so much for your yeah. time. Oh, gosh, of course. I'm excited to talk to y'all. And like I said, I mean, we, we'll talk off camera, but would so love to, to talk to you guys on my show and have everybody get to know you like I feel like I have this hour and For last sure. night watching, watching the shows. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll pick out a date in October for sure. And we're, yeah. We to Thanks that. for having, we would love to be on your uh, podcast and for everyone listening, where can they find enjoy 
uh, oh my goodness. Well, enjoy pod, life. Well, pod, yeah, for, for podcasts. Well, obviously and, it's with Mott of yeah. a family maid, but I'm just, I just wanted to give her, mm-hmm. Doug, I'm just trying to give her I know, I, I, to promote I ruined, her podcast. I ruined all of that. <laughs> I'm trying to that. give her the plug. Like we, <laughs> yeah, geez. Tell us who you are and Take where we can find you. <laughs> You're right. Enjoy life podcast. It's I N J O Y, um, like living in joy. And it's on family main network as y'all are. And, um, yeah, anywhere you listen to podcasts and, my website's maddiejackson.net. That's sort of a landing page for all that. And then I'm just Maddie Jackson on Instagram. So, And then the Nashville Foundation, for sure, where proceeds go to orphans, widows, and Yes, yes. Victims. And that's nashville.com. And there's a Nashville Instagram handle, too. So, And we will absolutely be adding all the links below yes. in the story notes for any of you listening at home or in your car or on a treadmill, <laughs> walking your dog, whatever it is. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I have no pen and paper. I So don't worry. You can just <laughs> head to the show notes and it's all linked below. I really navigate towards people who choose. I think it's optimi- gravitate. Oh yeah. Gravitate. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, who choose optimism and positivity because, you know, to be very honest for a long time, I was choosing that. Like I wanted mm-hmm. that, but I felt like it wasn't choosing me. And like, this is kind of deep and I don't want to get emotional, but like hearing someone say, yeah, I think, you know, positivity and optimism is a choice. And then knowing that she really did choose that and turn her life around. I'm like, why couldn't I have done that? Like easier for myself. Like, I mean, I've literally been in such a depression and a fog like for like over three years. And it's like, I am probably going to get cried, but I'm like, why couldn't I have thought like, did I ruin like, sometimes I'm like, like, did I ruin like Hendrix's first year? I mean, he will never remember, but I'm like, you know, there were many times when I was like nursing him and I was just like, I just couldn't wait for him to be done because I would just wanted to, you know, I had work to get done or who knows what. And anyways, I, I wouldn't don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah, I know. But I'm like, I didn't, you were, you were amazing with him and he's, he's a healthy boy. You gave him positive breast milk. Yeah. But you know, you, everybody, <sighs> everybody goes through something and yeah. it's no fault of the person, but you know, however long it takes, however, or whatever you have to go through, you know, I think there is something to say. And and the reason why I asked Maddie that question, do you feel like it's a choice? You know, people may not realize it right away, but at some point, you know, things do get better. At some point, things, things start to add up and, and choosing gratitude, choosing to be thankful, choosing to, to try to be happy uh, is sometimes the key to getting out of a funk. But also, just as someone who was in such a deep, dark depression and who wanted to choose those things, and I was like going to church, I was trying to read my Bible, I was trying to meditate, I I was trying to choose these things and to change my mindset, but it's like my, I felt like it was stronger than me. And like, that's why I was suicidal, because I felt like I couldn't like break free. And so I don't know, I just, maybe I just wasn't strong enough. I don't know what the case is. I think one thing that I can say, so if you're someone who maybe feels that way now and you're like, well, dang, I, I want to choose joy, but like, I just like have 10 strikes against me and it's hard for me to, to see the joy. I think that one, first of all, I want to say that that's, that's okay. And I've absolutely been there and it, you do feel a little guilty because especially if you have children, because then you're like, was I not, 
I don't know, did I not choose it strong enough for them? That's a rabbit hole in itself. Yeah. So I'm not going to go down that role, but what I want to say for someone who's in that point, like if they're, if you're listening still right now, um, and we weren't expecting to talk about this, of course, but it just mm-hmm. brought up a feeling because I have been there. And I think that the one thing that I noticed with Maddie that she had during all of her grief and trauma was family and support and people who were there for her day in. I mean, she said her girlfriends had a spreadsheet of who was going to sleep in her bed and they did for like six weeks. Community is monumental. Like if you are able, and it does not necessarily mean family. I'm like straight up saying community because family isn't always the best, most supportive people for you. Blood is not always the most supportive. They're not, they, they don't always have the best intentions for you, even though you would think that they would and they should get that all out of your mind. And I've had to do that because I tried forcing some family members to really love me and accept me and to want to be around me. And I wanted to be around them. And I would go out of my way to the point that, you know, I'm exhausting myself to try to have family be family. And what I've come to realize now is that you really do. And that's the whole point is that of me wanting to have so many children is because I'm going, I was, I was like telling myself, I'm going to make my own family. I'm going to make my own children and I'm going to love them and nurture them. And they're going to want to be my family. And like, we'll always, I'll, I'll never like, you know, abandon them or neglect them or abuse them. And so we're going to grow up to be loving and I'll always have a big, you know, I'll have people, I mean, I've had Thanksgivings and Christmas all alone. And then later on when I could work, I would just choose to work those so I could get time and a half. And I would always think one day I'm going to have a family so I don't have to do this anymore. I feel like I'm going to cry. Um, and what I'm trying to say though, to you listening is that the best thing to do is find that community. Like if, cause obviously we're even trying to, to, we're struggling to conceive. I mean, we're very blessed and thankful to have two children, but I always wanted a lot because I'm like, that's my family. I'm growing my family and they're going to be in my house and I'm going to love them and they're going to love me and we're going to be family. <laughs> but, um, I, what I've also realized, and I'm really thankful that it didn't take me until I was like 80 to realize this. It only took me 35 plus years, but that's okay. Um, Which is great. um, is, you know, you can choose your family, find the people who want to be around you, who enjoy like your presence, who, who you can fill their cup and they can fill your cup, find those people. And the first person that I found to do that for me outside of like, since I've been looking kind of like, since I've had this really deep, dark depression that wasn't family was my quote unquote assistant, Diana. I mean, this woman had been in my life for such a long time and she was always to the point where like, I didn't, I don't think I even appreciated her the way that I should have. Cause she was always, I feel like I'm going to cry over that because she was not my family. And so I didn't, I was like, I was, I was still searching for my family. Like I wanted my family to love me and accept me and want to be around me. And, and meanwhile, Diana's just always there for me when I needed a shoulder to cry on, just always there for me and would come fly down. I mean, you know, just always there for me. And And like, to me, that is family. And so, you know, it may be the most unlikeliest of friends. You wouldn't think, you know, someone that you've hired would become like your best friend, but just keep your eyes open and your heart open. And, and also, you know, Diana and I are, are so like astronomically different in the sense that I don't know, like she is, I don't, I don't know, like she we're not really actually that different now that I, now that I know her better, but I thought that we were so different and yeah. that we wouldn't be best friends, but we're actually really kind of a lot more alike than I ever thought. I mean, you it's, don't, when you don't have that, it's sometimes really tough to recognize it. You know, yeah. like when you don't have that in your life, it's tough to realize, you know, some of the people that you have around you, 
Yeah. Um, you know, and, and who wants to be there. So, well, and that's the thing too, is that you also like who you invest in will like, hopefully will invest in you as well. And so, but the, what I try to, what I'm trying to say about Diana is that I felt like she invested in me, even when I didn't invest enough in her. I mean, I was just paying her to like to do her job really, but she invested so much more. And so now, I mean, she's just such a gem and I feel like Ruth now who yep. comes to the house is like very quickly becoming family. I mean, she really cares for us. And, and so any case, what I'm trying to say, all of that to be said yep. is just basically for you listening. If you're like, I'm stuck in that deep, dark despair and I'm trying to choose positivity, but I'm having a hard time. There really is truly hope. And it's not as easy as just trying to choose positivity every single day. I'm, I, I'm sure even Maddie would say that, but even just to ask somebody just to just be there, just, yeah. you know, just come over. Don't say anything. Just, just I need yeah. somebody by me. But don't also you know, ask for support and help as hard as that. That is so be. hard. But what I'm trying to say though, is really be open to and looking for the people who love you and want to be around you and appreciate them and then love them and be around them. And that is how you build your community and you find your family. So all of that to say, and I think that that, I mean, I was reading the Bible. I was, you know, going to church. I was trying so hard to, you know, meditate and be a good person, work out and change my diet and all the things. And I was still so depressed and stressed. And I just, was like, am I ever, there's no, there's no way out. And I, but what I didn't have, the one thing I didn't have was community. I had a great husband. I had great children. I had enough money in the bank. The one thing I didn't have was a, a stronger relationship with God. That's probably clear. I was just starting to go back to church and whatnot. And I feel like going to church really helped me realize even that what I really, that, that the one thing I didn't, that I was missing was that community and just having people in my life who genuinely care about me and my family. And I know yeah. we'll still be there. So needless to say, that's a long winded, um, you know, I guess I just was, you know, just after that interview, I was, cause like it, yeah. it kind of made me really sad to think that, you know, maybe I should have chosen joy, you know, and I, but I did try. And well, I also think that what was, what I took away from Maddie was regardless, or, you know, take, take this, take this advice or not. But I think what was extremely powerful was stay in a 24 hour block. Mm. You know, if you live in, and too deep into the past, you can start to question every single action that you did. Yeah. And that is a, a never ending. You're absolutely hole. right. That's a really that good 24 nugget. hour block uh, is what you need to go, go through. Yeah. Um, and when I went to um, one of the meetings that I went to a, a, as a, um, like an AA meeting, um, something that really stuck with me was, you know, people that were really in the thick of it. It was like, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, you can't do drugs for the rest of your life. You can't drink for the rest of your life, which, you know, it's like telling someone uh, that's depressed, like, you know, don't be depressed or it doesn't help. But what you can start to change is your mindset and say, you know what? No, I just can't drink today. I I, I just can't do drugs today. Live in that 24 hour block. And And instead of saying you can't say, I choose not to. to. Yeah, I'm not going. I don't do that anymore. And you can really trick your brain into like, believing that um but yeah no she had so many i mean she's amazing and has so many she has such a powerful story and i hope you guys enjoyed it yeah i hope you enjoyed it and doug was 
like itching to get a guest on. And I think she was a great guest for like the past few weeks. We haven't had any guests and she was a great one. So hope you enjoyed it and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Love you. Love you. Bye. Mm -hmm.